Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are well and of course before we start recording this episode just want to send our condolences over to His Royal Highness King Charles III and the rest of the royal family after the very sad loss of the late Queen Elizabeth II who sadly passed away on Thursday evening at the age of 96 and we want to dedicate this podcast to her legacy and her memory after a 70 year spell on the throne the longest serving monarch in UK history a wonderful woman who will be duly missed by everyone here at the DNF1 family and of course guys whilst we send our best wishes to the royal family and everyone that's obviously affected by such a sad loss at this time the Italian Grand Prix unlike some other sporting events that decided to pay their respects by not going ahead this weekend, we did have an Italian Grand Prix. And it was a fairly eventful one, it must be said. I think one that plenty enjoyed for different reasons, but ultimately one that was won by the world champion and the man who looks very much unstoppable right now, Max Verstappen, with his fifth win in a row, his 11th of the season And it's very, very hard to see where that run is going to stop. But of course, it ended under somewhat controversial circumstances with a very late safety car, which of course brought up the topic of Abu Dhabi from last season and drawing comparisons from that. Had to get it in there, guys. We're going to be talking about that, of course. But joining me on this episode, we have the rest of the DNF1 panel. We have Courtney Pine and Lee Wallington. Gentlemen, Obviously, I've had a lot to say already at the beginning of this episode, a big one, which, of course, we are running ad-free on all of our podcasts and platforms. And I want to thank our host, the network, the Sports Social Podcasting Network, who host our podcast and allow us to do all the great things that we do. Just to thank those guys for allowing us to run this episode ad-free in tribute to her, the late Queen Elizabeth II. I thought it would be appropriate. So thank you guys for that one. But guys, after an incredible weekend of action and stories up and down the paddock it almost seemed inevitable that Max Verstappen was going to find a way in Ferrari country of course no less to turn up do the business and get the win and despite that very late safety car there was absolutely no doubt that Max was going to win it quite comfortably how how did you see the race go down was it a surprise to you that Max Verstappen won the Grand Prix and considering his starting position as comfortably as he did no, it wasn't uh, surprising at all. Um, you know, it's it, obviously Max Verstappen fans would be happy with how things are going, but for me, it's just it's 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 a real shame the way this championship has turned out. At the end of the day, both Red Bull and Max Verstappen have done a fantastic job. You know, particularly given how they were in a tight championship battle last season. You know, to put so much effort into a championship battle and then to you know bounce into the season the way they have. You know, congratulations to them. But 
you know, as a neutral fan and obviously, you know, a content creator, we want to be seeing, you know, battles, drama, going to the very last race of the season and to potentially see a Drivers' Championship wrapped up by Singapore, which I don't think we've ever seen happen since Singapore joined the calendar in 2008, I believe. No, I don't think we've had one at Singapore. So it definitely would be a first for them, yeah. It it it's been a bit anticlimactic because this season promised so much. Look, the new cars have delivered in terms of the close racing, and we have had some entertaining races. I'm not taking that away, but the way the season has turned out with Red Bull's development and the way that Ferrari have fought, we looked like we're going to have a fantastic battle, a seasonal battle to start the season. And yeah, I, I can't help but feel flat by the way that the season has turned out. You know, you'll have people in the comments talking about bias. Look, as a Mercedes fan, a Lewis Hamilton fan, Mercedes were struggling from the very start of the season. And I welcomed the, the battle between Verstappen and Leclerc. If your driver isn't doing the best, and the thing is, you get so much talk about bias. Yes, we have our favourite teams and our favourite drivers, but we all three of us are staunch Formula 1 fans. We love to see fantastic racing. We love to see the drama. And to an extent, we have been robbed of that. And I just hope that this season can give us some entertaining races because, look, the championship itself is all but done. Yeah, it's an interesting one because we sort of went into this weekend expecting Max Verstappen to be the heavy favourite. I mean... We were at a circuit where it was always going to favour a low downforce setup. We know how good this Red Bull is in a straight line. We know how good Max Verstappen has been recently. He's been in imperious form, to say the least. Arguably the best period in his Formula 1 career, the way that he's driving right now. And despite the grid penalty that he had, which was only five places, the fact that Charles Leclerc was able to put that on pole position on merit um, on Saturday qualifying did give some hope. But ultimately, as the race transpired, and it happened rather quickly, Max was able to get his way to the front of the field. The virtual safety car, owing to Sebastian Vettel's retirement, which was a real shame for him at the final Italian Grand Prix, a race that had so many fond memories for him, his first victory in his Formula 1 career, and obviously a very sombre note for his final race in his F1 career to retire so early. It really forced Ferrari into a position where they had to take action, and they tried. I, I can't really fault Ferrari on what they did today. I think Leclerc drove a great race under the circumstances, did absolutely everything he could. To then lose the race before the safety car, theoretically by around 16, 17 seconds, despite trying to gamble on that final stint, it never looked at any point that, for, that Leclerc was going to reel Verstappen in. It, it's, it's very much heartbreaking for Ferrari in this regard. You know, to, to everything to go the way that they would have, you know, wanted it to, and to still fall so far behind. It, it's a marvel uh, how good Verstappen and Red Bull are right now in a season which, as you said, Courtney, we, we bidded this up to be a battle between Leclerc and Verstappen, Ferrari and Red Bull. And on the day where the usual Ferrari strategy mistakes or driver errors or just bad luck with reliability didn't actually be a factor at the home Grand Prix, thank goodness for that they were still a long, long way off Max Verstappen. And I think that's been the tale of the second half of the season since this new TD's come in. It's really swung things even further away from Ferrari. Um, Lee, what did you make of Max Verstappen's performance today? Were you surprised at this point like um, some might have been? Or perhaps did you feel that, well, he managed to get to the front fairly quickly in Spa when he started in 14th. P7 wasn't exactly going to be a million miles away from trying to do the same thing. 
No, I wasn't surprised at all. Really. And, and as you already touched on, I was actually more surprised that Ferrari didn't mess it up with a special livery on top. So that's that was actually my biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah we, we should mention that actually the special livery I'm glad you because historically in recent seasons when a team has a special livery they have a disaster of a Grand Prix yet Ferrari for once the team you'd expect to have a disaster of a race in this situation actually didn't have any faults for either of their drivers I think both Sainz and Leclerc their races were managed brilliantly and the only thing you would say about Sainz is he was a little bit unlucky not to get a podium but he, he was very quick today as well yeah he was um, I mean there, there was a point and it's like, oh, will he actually get onto the podium the way he was cutting through the field? And I was like, oh, he, he's way, uh, he's a lot faster than Charles. So it's like, if he didn't have the penalty, what could have been for Carlos? But obviously that's what, you get the extra grunt from the new engine, so he may not have been the same if he had an older engine. But no, I wasn't, going back to Max, it was a control drive from him. I just was not surprised that by the lap, I think it was fifth lap, he was in second. Um, and that's a yeah, that's once he got to that place, it's, yeah, that's it. He can just reel in Charles, and that's what he did. Yeah, I think the Ferrari fans in their absolute thousands dominating the venue at Monza this weekend, as they would normally do, as we expect from Ferrari at their home Grand Prix. We're probably all collectively hoping that once Charles Leclerc managed to fend off George Russell, and obviously he was quite aggressive at the start, rightly so, of course, you know, by George Russell's own admission even though he got hung out to dry on the outside, you know, Leclerc's just following the racing rules for this season. So there's nothing wrong with what he did, although aggressive as it was. I think Ferrari fans were hoping that Russell was going to act as a bit of a buffer for Verstappen to the point when he got up there, but uh, it was almost food and drink to Max Verstappen. It was a standard thing. He just got past, and once he got past George Russell, it almost felt like the inevitable was going to happen, albeit it was delayed. And in a way, we were denied a fight between Verstappen and Leclerc. I think it would have been quite interesting in that opening stint, maybe later on as well, what would have happened if Verstappen and Leclerc locked horns? How aggressive Leclerc would have been to defend against Max at home and how aggressive would Max have been knowing that the championship was all all but done? It's, it's quite a fascinating battle. Sometimes we haven't really had much of that between these two, which has always been rather disappointing considering how often they fought each other at the start of the season. Oh, yeah. No, you're, spot so. on. you're spot on there, Adam. I think... The story of this season, it's been a season of what could have been. You know, they, we I really did expect like a fantastic battle between Leclerc and Verstappen. You know, the two guys that are probably, you know, two of the top talents of their generation. You know, new Ferrari coming along after the recent struggles. It was going to be a season-long battle. But, yeah, unfortunately, this hasn't turned out to be that way. Look, not only because of how well Red Bull have done, but also because of Ferrari's struggles. And the other thing that is disappointing... Oh, sorry, I sound so sour. But the other thing that's disappointing is that after every big regulation change, we all know that, you know, the way that Formula 1 happens, the team has been dominating, you bring in some new regulations to, like, pretty much handicap the team that's been dominating over the previous era. You look at 2009... You had the big change there. Braun dominated, but it went to the last race with Jensen Button in Brazil. 2014, yes, Mercedes were dominant, but you had the last race showdown. You had the double points played their part. You had the last race showdown between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. This season, it promised so much, yet the championships are going to be wrapped up with four or five races yet to go. So it is. It's just, it's just been a very anticlimactic season, but... Overall, it's something that we'll discuss beforehand. 
there are some great battles behind the main battle, but you want to be seeing the sort of battles you're seeing in the midfield happen at the very front. And I, I've said this before, I really believe Formula One needs Mercedes to be back next season. If, if Mercedes come back with George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Ferrari have more races like they did today, but have that more inherent pace, we could have a fantastic battle next season. I really, really hope as an F1 fan, because we know how fantastic this sport can be, you know, the drama, the high-quality racing, when you've got entertaining battles, I really, really hope that Mercedes and Ferrari can give Max a challenge next season. Because right now, Max Verstappen is playing F1 in easy mode. Yeah, he really is. I'm almost expecting when you've got Max on board for the race coverage to sort of pause whatever you're watching it on and a little message saying, this is a bit too easy for you. Do you want to up the difficulty? Um, and go with that. I mean, he, yeah, he, the guy is literally a machine right now. I think it was, was it Karen Chanduk on Sky F1? He was talking about Max Verstappen. He was sort of making comparisons to Michael Schumacher, the seven-time world champion. Obviously made Monza very much his home, his backyard, being a Ferrari legend, uh, no less. And of course, and he, he was talking about the fact that it just seems right now that no matter what the rivals are throwing at Red Bull and Max Verstappen, no matter what strategy that you're throwing at them, no matter what caveats or what obstacles are put in front of them, they always seem to find a way. And it, it, almost to a point where you just can't stop them. It's like the immovable force and you just cannot stop the inevitable right now. It's very much reminiscent of that, of Michael Schumacher's prime period. And I'm not saying, of course, that Max Verstappen is on the level of Michael Schumacher in his prime. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge statement. And I think Max has a long way I think to go. He, I think he will be. He I could do, he yeah. Be. He could do. Yeah. It's the same for Sir Lewis as well. You know, we're, we're comparing records here and we're comparing ability. Max is definitely the guy that can challenge those guys there and their records in, in years to come. And you see well, yeah, performances. He's got 30 yeah. wins already. That's it. I know. That's what I mean. And, and, yeah. and you're seeing these performances right now and you sort of look at it and you think, well, if you're comparing performances like that these are the sorts of performances that you're going to compare to those greats and say well he's doing it you know you can't not that we're suggesting right now that he's there but he's certainly putting in those performances that those guys before him would have done on a regular basis which is what made him so legendary for example so yeah not to draw too many comparisons but I thought it was quite apt of Karen Shanduk on Sky F1 to make that point very reminiscent of those eras but when you when you sort of look at Red Bull now it is hard to see where they're going to, how they're going to be stopped, and how who's going to be able to stop Max Verstappen. The drive, the quality for the drivers are definitely there. It's just right now with that combination and and machines that Red Bull seem to have available to them, and the, and the quality of Max's driving right now, it's just so hard to see who right now can actually stop them. And it, uh, it is a little bit of a somber thought. It must be said if you're looking for F1 at the front to be as excited, not necessarily what it was last season. I mean, it was an exciting battle, but obviously the toxicity of the social media antics and other people getting involved in this debate and how fiery it ended and the controversy around it was obviously something we could have done without. But, you know, it, this season it has been a bit disappointing that, you know, the one side has been so brilliant and those that have been up against him have fallen to the wayside quite emphatically. Yeah, I think, I, I, I do think Mercedes will come back. Um, I, I feel that next season is an opportunity. But you want to see Ferrari there as well. I, I, I think that we've, we've had the two team battles, but it'd be fantastic to see, you know, the three teams that have sort of been there or thereabouts the past decade or so. To have all three of those teams, you know, having Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton and Russell 
all having a go at a championship. That would be such a fantastic thing for the sport. And look, I'm repeating myself here, but I just really hope that both Mercedes and Ferrari get their act together next season. Yeah, can we can we talk about qualifying briefly? Because mm-hmm. obviously this race, you know, the qualifying was almost... It's almost a moot point, really. I mean, the celebration of qualifying was Charles Leclerc getting pole position on merit for Ferrari. But unless I'm mistaken, he was probably the only guy that actually started in the position that he qualified because of all these engine penalties. And it's the second race in a row that we've seen this. I think we saw this in, or actually third, really, if you count Spa on top of that. But it's been engine penalties galore from so many different drivers right now, so many different teams. And it's usually the same people, to be honest. I think nobody's... Um, everybody sort of fallen foul to this at some point this season. Even Mercedes George, now have had this Has George issue. fallen foul? To I think it? he's the only one. But give it time. Yeah. Give it time. <laughs> um, I mean, but you know, we can talk about that in a minute. But it just feels right now that I know the FIA and F1 were looking at introducing an extra power unit component for next season that the teams can use. Is it sort of worrying though that we might need a bit more on that with these new? engines that we're only going to have for a limited time because the because they can't really develop them other than fix the reliability issues and even then they have to be approved is there a concern right now that teams are just going to be adopting this so much that qualifying is just going to be made redundant to a degree because again as i said i think leclerc is probably the only person that actually started in the position they qualified in today and and it just kind of makes a mockery of qualifying as a show almost yeah, I think you could take two things from this, though. Um, you're right. It, it could dilute the you know importance of qualifying. And, you know, I remember in podcasts before, all three of us have said, like, we really love, you know, the importance of qualifying. We like the old-fashioned style of qualifying. Don't change something that isn't broken. But you're right. If, the, if this becomes a regular thing, it does sort of take away the importance of qualifying. But on the flip side of that, for once, I'm going to agree with something that Christian Orner said. Oh, and wow. he said it on the build-up. I know, what a time to be <laughs> alive. have a first, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Courtney agrees with something Christian Horner said. Oh, this is going to be good. Right, I'm clip. glad you're recording oh, this. Yeah, <laughs> clip it. I'm clipping this right now, Courtney. This is going to be the short of all shorts right now. What do you agree with Christian? Well, I better say this and finesse this properly if you want this clipped. Um, so he basically said that with the engine penalties, yes, they're not ideal, but they do give us a mixed up grid. And it's something that we've been sort of talking about, you know, with um, reverse, reverse grids, you know, and how to make the races more entertaining. To have a mixed up grid every now and again, it does lead to more entertaining racing. It just depends on how regularly it happens. And, you know, th- there is an importance of, you know, the, the, the cost cap to bring more teams, you know, to enable more teams to be competitive. But then on the flip side of that, we still got the same three teams dominating anyway. But they just found ways to continue to dominate, you know. So I do think they should be bringing more engine components. I just think it'd be a sort of, it'd be interesting to have these mixed grids towards the end of the season. So I think they should bring in these penalties, but I think they should have more components. So these things only happen towards the end of the season rather than happening at the midpoint. Of the like we, we've seen people taking these penalties in Spa, which is just after the summer break. If those have these at the end of the season, that's one thing. But for it to happen this early in the season is ridiculous. 
Well, it's so tactical now, isn't it? Because it's yeah. not just a case of a team needs to take a fresh power unit through necessity or that they have to, otherwise they're not going to be able to run their cars. It's now happening at times. Like, if, I'll pick someone out at random. Sir Lewis Hamilton, you know, I think is an obvious person to pick in this example here. And this isn't me saying that Mercedes are doing anything wrong. You know, it's, it's the rules. They're allowed to do it. They're just going to have to suffer the consequences of a back-of-the-grid start. And... The logic behind what they did today was they obviously looked at this Grand Prix at Monza and thought, right, we've got a very draggy car. In terms of a straight line speed deficit we have, Ferrari and Red Bull are probably going to beat us today on merit, which they did. You know, performance of their lead cars, they, they did. So they probably thought, well, Lewis has got enough pace to recover all the way to the position that he did ultimately today, which was P5, which I think was a very good performance under the circumstances. And they thought, well, we've got fresh power unit components that we can now use for races that we're going to be very strong at, like Singapore and Suzuka, races which they think they're going to win. And the only punishment they've had to face today was where they started at the back of the grid. But they obviously able to offset that with the performance that they had, not to mention the fact that the grid was completely randomised anyway to some parts because a lot of people had the same idea at this particular circuit. Almost a bit of a... It's hard to describe, but it's just one of those scenarios where... It does raise that question again. Is the current punishments or consequences of taking extra engine components in this turbo hybrid era beyond 2021, of course, are they sufficient? Are they still um, are they still acting as a deterrent? Because I think that's what they're set up for. They're meant to be there as a deterrent for teams actually doing it unless they absolutely have to. But as we've seen for some of the top teams, it's almost like, well, we'll take a bit of pain here, but we end up still getting a decent number of points anyway. And you just never really know what happens ahead of them. So what do you guys think? Are the current rules on engine penalties fit for purpose? Or do we need to change things up a little bit? I.e. fine teams in a cost cap era or take away constructors points, for example, or stuff like that. I don't know. What do you guys think? I personally think that you shouldn't be touching uh, points, especially constructors points, because that's going to penalise the smaller teams more than the bigger teams. Um, and you could argue that the same with the financial aspect, that all right, there's the cost cap, but it doesn't mean all the teams operate to the maximum of the cost cap. So if you penalise a smaller team, again, you're potentially taking a bigger chunk of their budget and that's a bigger punishment than, say, comparing it to the top three. So I don't, as much as the current system isn't great, I don't think there is really a better alternative at the moment, just because it's the fairest solution for teams up and down the grid. Um, but I do want to raise another question of the strategic aspect, which raises the question, if the teams are strategically choosing when to choose an engine because there are circuits that historically are difficult to overtake on. And if they're difficult to overtake on, that's a problem with the circuit, and you should address that problem to make them easier to overtake on. Admittedly, we don't know how Singapore and Suzuka will be with the new cars. They may be being some overtaking but they may not be and if there's no overtaking then really if the FAA should be turning those circuits to make it redesign the circuits to encourage overtaking so there's not as much strategic um, when to take the penalty and I think that's the bigger problem that like in Spa and in Monza there was so much strategy in when to take the engine penalty if it's one here or one there it doesn't look so bad if a driver does it here or there but when half the grid does it you, you do look a bit silly. Well, this is it. And, you know, another example, you've got Carlos Sainz today, who started on the um, 18th, I think it was today, ended up yeah. finishing all the way in P4. Very nearly P3, of course, you know, not so much the safety car, but 
I think it was on the Mercedes team radio when they said to Russell that Sainz was forecasted to finish four or five seconds behind him. I think Sainz would have been a little bit closer. I think Russell still would have got P3, but he would have been sweating a little bit towards the end. And this is against a guy who, in theory, a couple of weeks ago, he was racing him on, on the same on the same level at Spa, really. So And also at, at Zandvoort, too. So for me, it, I, I think... I'm not really sure what to recommend. It's, it's annoying because... I'm usually one of those people with people that listen to this show or people that know me know I almost have an answer for everything. It's an annoying trait, but I understand that. But I'm not sure what they can really do to try and make this better. I think they just need to see how things play out and hopefully reliability gets a little bit better. I think an extra power unit is fine, but that's coming because we're going to have a few more races next season. So maybe you need to add another one on top of that to try and make it a bit better. What are your thoughts, Courtney? Yeah, I, I think... The, the, only, the only solution to this really is a reliance on other teams to get their act together. Because if there wasn't such a big gap between the midfield and the, the top three teams, let's say, and, and that was sort of one of the reasons why these 22 regulations were brought in to you know, enable the midfield teams to challenge the, the top teams. If, hypothetically speaking, you know, the likes of Alpine, McLaren, were to have faster cars, then it would be punishing the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes if their drivers were to start at the back of the grid because they wouldn't find it so easy to carve their, carve their way through the field and get, you know, regain the points quite easily. So the, the current regulations or punishments, let's say, for overusing edge components would have much more of an effect if the field itself was a lot more competitive. And the other thing to bear in mind is that if you have the uh, the other teams being more competitive and they're not able to make these changes with the engines as much as possible, then reliability becomes more of an effect towards the end of the season. You might be seeing some, you know, if you have a tight championship battle, you might see a, a dramatic DNF because obviously the engines are being stretched a lot more. So F1 in general is so reliant on more teams getting into this battle. Now, I've also have a look at some of the drivers that are in these midfield teams, like Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso would love to have another crack at a world championship. Once again, I was watching a performance that Lando Norris put in for McLaren. I'm thinking, this guy deserves to be in a shot of a championship um, battle in the next season or so because of the performances that are putting in. But it, it, it also, re- we're reliant on these teams to get their act together. Like McLaren, McLaren have the facilities and the history to surely put together a championship challenge in the coming seasons. I don't quite understand why there's still such a big gap between um, Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari compared to the rest of the field. Yeah, it is very true. But I mean, I guess we're hoping that the cost cap can kind of, and the ATR regulations can kind of close that gap over the next few seasons. I think that's kind of what the FIA were hoping for. I don't think they expected this to be completely random as uh, some might thought it could have been when the new rules came out. I think they were expecting the biggest teams with the most resources available in terms of infrastructure, the best staff, et cetera, et cetera, to have the best cars. I think we knew that was going to happen, but that golf has already made itself quite evident. I mean, the field spread is smaller than it was before, but as you said, you know, that those goals are apparent and they're pretty much edified by the fact that you can start at the back of the grid if you're a Sir Lewis Hamilton or a Carlos Sainz or Sergio Perez and the top six runners today were Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes. In, in you know, not necessarily in that order, but and, and without the safety car, I probably would have been pretty comfortable. Speaking of which, we should talk about Sergio Perez. Started P13 today. 
had a bit of a strange race. I mean, it wasn't bad, but he got overtaken by signs on strategy. He was also beaten by Hamilton today. And, you know, there have been some concerns about his pace that we've mentioned in the past. Red Bull seemed to be quite happy. One of the reasons why it seems Perez might be off the pace of Verstappen is there have been some issues with this new floor with the Red Bull that they weren't able to produce the same thing for Verstappen and Perez. And the one that they've run with Perez means that they they can't really afford under the cost cap to give Perez what Verstappen has, unfortunately, which might explain his pace issues. But on a day again where that Red Bull is meant to be very slippery in a straight line where you think Perez would be strong and also a bit of a tyre whisper as well because he to opening stint, he went a long way in this race. Uh, was it the opening stint? I think it was. Um, he went really long into this race. No, and, it was about seven laps. Yeah, no, no, because he pitted. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to get this right. He pitted early under, and then he went long into the That's middle right, part yeah. of the race. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, he changed his tyres again and ended up P6 behind Sides and Hamilton. I think on this day, on this circuit, I would say probably disappointed to finish behind those two in particular. So what did you make of Perez today? Was it just the wrong strategy for him today? Should he have gone as long as he did in that middle part of the race? Or can we put this one down to just saying, look, you know, he's probably had a bit of an inferior car for some time compared to what his teammates got. And it's just not able to get that pace out of it that he needs to beat the likes of the Ferraris and the Mercedes in the same way they did at Spa, for example. I just hope for Sergio Perez's sake that obviously, you know, he's, he's a bit older than some of the other guys I'm about to mention. But like for, for his own mentality's sake, I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't fall down the same hole that we saw the likes of uh, Gasly, uh, Albon, and to an extent, Dan Ricciardo fall down in sort of having that sheer in, like inferiority to the other side of the garage. You know, we, we, we saw Gasly in particular seeing mentally broken by it. And again, you know, we're talking about our hopes for 2023. Let's hope that Sergio Perez gets a lift and or maybe a car that suits him a little bit more because we saw at the beginning of the season, the car did suit him. He was performing relatively well. So let's hope for Sergio Perez that he doesn't go down that mental hole because it wasn't nice to see Gasly in the position he was in at, some po- at one point. So fingers crossed that 2023 delivers for Sergio Perez as well as a couple of the other teams that I've mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there are a few caveats in there, as I said, what you can throw to Perez, that he's obviously not driving the same car as Verstappen is, and that's understandable. I know people are saying, oh, well, you know, why is he not delivering these performances? And for a while, we were part of that. But I think when you add those things in, they can make a big difference. And I think looking at how good Perez was before the new TD came in versus how he is now, I don't think it's one that Red Bull seem to be too worried about. I mean, if they're not worried about it, then obviously they know why. And obviously there must be a good reason for it. So for now... Perhaps because they're so far in ahead in the championship, they just take it for what it is and see where they are next season. But yeah, it's uh, another day where Perez lost ground to Sainz and Hamilton in particular. So yeah, uh, yeah we'll see. I do want to add for Sergio, the, um, he did have something stuck in his front brake cooling duct, which is why it was on fire. And he had to, after he changed his tyres, he had yes. to back off quite a lot for the, um, the brakes to cool. Mm. So that that is not anything that could be down to him as a underperformance obviously that added quite a bit to his overall race time so that in his defense there was that as well yeah no, that's true I think that's a really good point and this is a circuit where you know the brakes are going to be used quite a lot in certain areas but most of the lap obviously you, you know you want that cooling but obviously if you can't have that that's going to affect your performance and uh 
yeah, it was quite fiery on those front brakes when he came into pit um, early in the race. So yeah, a, a lot to take away from Red Bull. A lot of very, very good day for them. Getting very close now to winning both championships. Can't really see how they can throw this away. I think they're in a very, very strong... Well, they are in a strong position, obviously. So yeah, great day for Red Bull. Ferrari, now, obviously... They don't want to come second on their home turf. They obviously had their sights on winning the race. Charles Leclerc himself felt that they had the pace to win today. But in all fairness, they pretty much gambled on the strategy, which I think probably was the right call to make. I think they're in a position where no matter what they did today, unless something happened to Max Verstappen, they were going to get beat on the road one way or another. So P2 and P4 pulling away from Mercedes a little bit in the Constructors' Championship to sort of hold on to P2 and make that a little bit easier for them. I think when they reflect on this race, whilst they're disappointed, I think they'll be relatively happy with how it went down, despite the fact that Leclerc started on pole position today. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've been, we've been sort of been taking a mick out of Ferrari so much throughout the season because of the high-profile yet simple errors that they've been making. And we, we were saying in the build-up to this race, that if you do this in front of the Tifosi, you're going to get absolutely crucified for it. And to their credit, for once, they actually had a clean race. You know, may, maybe it's helping that the pressure is falling off them in terms of a championship battle. This could be an opportunity for Ferrari to rebuild and hopefully finish um, second in the Constructor Championship. Because let's not forget, there is that threat from Mercedes. If you know, Mercedes have strong weekends in Singapore and Suzuka, which they seem to be uh, confident of, then the challenge could be thrown to Ferrari once again. So they'll be hoping to have a cleaner end to the season. I, I just think there's going to be a lot of rebuilding going on over the next few months. And the fact that they've had a clean race in Monza, obviously disappointed that they didn't win. Look, it was so apparent on the Leclerc's face that he was... Just disappointed. Just didn't have that extra speed to obviously bring home the win in front of the um, in front of the home fans. But I think the fact that the pressure is going to be taken off Ferrari is an opportunity for them to rebuild their confidence before next season. Yeah, absolutely right. I think you know it was a big celebration for Ferrari this weekend. It was the seventy fifth anniversary of their first ever win in F one, which is obviously why they were wearing the yellow race suits and. They had the yellow tinge put in their car. I've I got to say, it looked absolutely fantastic, especially the Ferrari logo and the Ferrari lettering on the rear wing. I think that's something they need to keep for the rest of the season. I think what might be cool, actually, is for the rest of the season, and perhaps beyond that, that for Carlos Sainz's car, they just leave all the yellow lettering on there. And then for Leclerc's one, they leave the white lettering on there. I think that'd be a nice way to sort of distinguish the two. And I thought that was quite cool. So yeah, maybe they could keep that going. I think in a way, I thought it might be a bit difficult for Crofty, for example, who obviously we joke about and, and other fans joke about has a history of sometimes getting drivers wrong. I thought, well, Carlos Sainz and the Charles Leclerc's crash helmets are not too different. So sort of from a distance without looking at the numbers, it might be a bit of a issue for him. But obviously they were having two very different races right now. So fortunately, he'd been saved his blushes on that one. But yeah, with Charles Leclerc, obviously he was a bit disappointed. He thought he had the pace to win the safety car, obviously coming out at the very end of the race, owing to Daniel Ricciardo's retirement, which was obviously very disappointing for Ricciardo because I think he drove a very good race before that happened which brought out the safety car about five laps to the end and this is where it got a little bit interesting because the safety car came out 
carried on. We ended up finishing the race behind the safety car, which for those of you that will cast your mind back to Abu Dhabi last season, we were in a very similar position, which the race was not finished under safety car and the world championship was turned on its head. And then we fast forward to today, similar scenario. In Toto Wolf's words, the rules were followed properly today. What did you guys make of that? Did you agree with the race finishing under safety car under the circumstances or would you have liked or preferred perhaps to see a red flag shown so that we could have a bit of a restart or something like that as a lot of the Tifosi fans were kind of hoping that they would get? Yeah, I, I, I think that the, the scenario, that exact scenario that occurred today was an opportunity for, you know, the stewards to, you know, show that they, they've learned from what happened last season, you know, and they've accepted that it was a mistake. So I think for Lewis Hammond fans in particular, that was like a little bit of closure for them that, you know, that the stewards seem to accept that the result of last, the, the result um, in Abu Dhabi was in fact wrong. Obviously, not going to take that away from Max and Red Bull. Max did perform well over last season, but Lewis was robbed. But it, so for them to do that in in a strange way, it was sort of an acceptance that the result was wrong last season. But yeah, you wanted to have obviously the the race was well and truly won, and obviously with the championship, both, with both championships being over well, almost over. You just wanted to sort of have something to enjoy, but that wouldn't have been fair on Red Bull. So it's, it's that consistency that you want. If this is what how they're going to follow it from now on, then absolutely fine. But if they continue to be inconsistent, that's what causes the problems within the fan base. So yeah, it would have been nice to have had a grandstand finish. But if that's going to be the rules, they need to continue with that. So if it happens again in the in coming races, they need to do exactly what they did today. Well, this is it. And, you know, it, it's it's one of those where obviously if you are a Sir Lewis Hamilton fan watching this today, I can understand that you might be a little bit angry at the fact that, well, they've done this today rather than do what they did in Abu Dhabi. And look, we've already established on this show and even before we came on that what they did in Abu Dhabi was nothing more than a screw job, quite frankly. And today, and, and look, I apologise to Max Verstappen fans that won't enjoy hearing this, but the scenario came today where I think Sir Lewis Hamilton fans might have wanted the safety car to come in a lap early and have a one lap shootout or a red flag to come out. And in both scenarios where the wrong decision was made before and the right decision was made today, Max Verstappen and Red Bull are the ones that have benefited on both occasions. So it's understandable why some fans are going to feel a bit angry and upset about the fact that we've had those scenarios be very similar, but that we've had two different outcomes. One, of course, being wrong and today was the right one. Lee, what were your thoughts? Do you think do you think F1 was at risk today of setting a precedent if they decided to go with a red flag? Because I, I think we need to be careful here that whilst it would have been entertaining, you then have the potential of setting a precedent that every time you end up in this scenario, regardless of whether it's safe or not to do it, you just put a red flag out and completely turn the race on its head just for a five-lap shootout for the sake of um, preserving the show or entertaining the fans. Yeah, I... I, I... I was quite happy that the rules were followed today, uh, I must add. But I think any form of meddling from the stewards or the uh, Formula One or FIA regarding red flag for making a juicy last couple of laps, uh, if it's not in the interest of safety, I don't believe it should be artificially um, affected. Um, As Courtney already said, Red Bull done really well. Max drove really well today. And then obviously with a red flag, that means a 
a standing start unless they obviously the stewards say it's unsafe to do so, which is obviously for especially for Max, that's a risk so that he could throw lose his whole race win because of the entertainment when he's done all the hard work and with one or two laps left to go. So I do think they made the right choice. Um, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, one thing I do want to add, conspiracy theory number one, ex, a Red Bull driver breaks down on the side of the road towards a safety car. Oh. <laughs> and leaves uh. in gear, mind you, <laughs> so they yeah. can't move the car. <laughs> Uh, but no, no, you're, you're right. It is, it is quite, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, for people that have listened to this show for a while, know that I'm a Ferrari fan. So obviously when I'm watching this race, I'm thinking to myself, oh, wouldn't it be fun if they've got a red flag, get Leclerc, have a free go at Verstappen, might be a bit more aggressive because there's nothing to lose really. You've got to try and go for the win, see what happens. And, but I'm glad that they did follow the rules correctly. They didn't try any silly shenanigans or almost succumb to pressure that would have been put on them given what happened in Abu Dhabi last year. It would have been very easy for them to try and not necessarily manipulate the result or create an artificial result, but create a scenario which could potentially have taken away all that hard work from Max Verstappen, who very rightly deserved the race and and what come with that, especially in the same way that Lewis Hamilton deserved it in Abu Dhabi last season. So I'm glad that they stuck to their guns and, and did what was the right thing under the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, we have we have a quote from an FIA spokesperson basically explaining what happened to Ricard. And they basically said that whilst every effort was made to recover car number three quickly and resume racing, the situation developed and marshals were unable to put the car into neutral and push it into the escape road. As the safety of the recovery operation is our only priority and the incident was not significant enough to require a red flag, the race ended under a safety car following the procedures agreed between the FIA and all competitors. The timing of the safety car period within a race has no bearing on this procedure. And Lee, I'm going to throw it to you because I, did, I know you were about to say something there before yeah. I come out with that quote. No, I was going to say the one thing that the the um, FIA did mess up on was for whatever reason, the safety car picked up George Russell instead of Max Verstappen as the lead car, um, which obviously slowed down the process a bit more, but to why they picked up George, not too sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, that would have been funny though, if uh, the classification sort of jigged itself in the way it did in F2 in Monaco a few years back and everyone was put a lap down and George Russell was just winning the race for some reason. I don't know. But I, I think some people might be reflecting on this and thinking, oh, could Ferrari have left Leclerc out in hindsight, thinking that, well, maybe he had a bad track position. Max had enough of a buffer to come in and out and stay ahead of Leclerc. Ultimately, that's why Red Bull pitted him. I think they wouldn't have done that knowing that if there was possibility that Leclerc could have overtaken him whilst he was in the pit. So I think we have to congratulate and applaud the FIA and, and, and the stewards for making the right call. I think if you put the red flag out now, as fun as that would have been to watch, it sets a bad precedent to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And as you said, Corny, what we want as fans is consistency and making sure the rules are followed. And today, they were followed. Not necessarily before, but today they were. And the right driver won today. And I think that's the most important thing. Let's move on to Mercedes now. And um, not a bad day all things considered. A podium for George Russell. Once again, another stellar performance from Russell. A, a very quiet race, all things considered. I know he had a few battles earlier on in the race, but after that, very much going about his own business and didn't quite have the pace to keep up with Leclerc and Verstappen, but he was comfortably faster than everyone else. And I think we can all agree would have had enough pace in the bag to keep stay ahead of Carlos Sainz towards the end of the Grand Prix if and when Sainz had caught up to him. What did you make of George today? Was, was he another impressive performance for the young star? 
yeah, he's just, just another example of what George has to offer the team. And it's just another example as to why I want Mercedes to get their act together because I, I, I do think that George Russell, with the right machinery, can at least challenge for a world championship. And, you know, it's just it's just exciting to see what he can have to offer. So I'm, I'm looking at George, I'm looking at Leclerc, I'm looking at Lando Norris as well. I'm thinking, I just want to see these guys be given a chance. So I'm just really hoping that Mercedes get their act together. But yeah, just he's just been so he's just been so, we talk about consistency a lot, but obviously in Formula One it's key. He's been so consistent for Mercedes. You know, there was obviously controversy over the decision making um last week. But at the end of the day, yet another decision by George, which is, you know, had been finishing in the podium or top five finishes. You know, and it's, it's his race craft, it's, it's his intelligence that enables him to finish so high up consistently. And it'll be a real asset for that team. They just need to get the car together because you know what? If Mercedes bring the car next season, they're going to be formidable with that driver pairing. They really are. Yeah, I mean, what we can say about Mercedes this season is that they've been very, very good at taking opportunities when they come. And, and granted, this was a weekend where I think a lot of us expected Mercedes to not really have the pace to challenge Red Bull and Ferrari, as they have done in other circuits in recent weeks. That being said, despite the fact that George has had the better rubber the green compared to his illustrious teammate, he's still putting in the performances and delivering what he needs to do right now. And I think that's the most important thing right now. He just keeps doing that. Um, Lee, what did you make of Russell today? Oh, I think it was another solid performance. And as Courtney said, the consistency, I mean, when you think about the performance of the Mercedes car over the season and how close George is to taking third in the championship, that's really talks about the performance he's delivered that, right? Yes, there, there's the asterisk you could put against Lewis because he was a um, Mercedes when using his car for a lot of testing earlier in the season. But he still had of Carlos and he's chasing down Sergio in the championship. So that's just another solid performance from George and he's just, yeah, you just can't give him enough credit and how he's actually doing this season. Yeah, I think that's true. That you mentioned Carlos Sainz as well. You know, it's very easy to look at certain performances like today, where Carlos Sainz was very, very good under the circumstances. He was unlucky not to get on the podium today, but his pace was phenomenal this weekend. And yet, we often overlook the consistency of George Russell and and certain moments. I mean, people can say what they want to say about Zandvoort and I was very much in favour of what George did. I know it put his teammate in the mud a bit and I know that's not going to go down well with some people. But when you're thinking about yourself in those situations and you get the great result for the team and obviously the strategy went against the Lewis, but it went in favour of George, you have to be there to make those things happen. And, and that's what George Russell does. And he's done so well this season. I think we have to remind ourselves... By looking at the championship table, as you said, Lee, he's ahead of signs. He's 18 points off Leclerc, a guy who we thought at one point in this season was going to run away with the world championships. You know, So to do what he's doing, I think you have to absolutely sing his praises. We should move on, of course, to talk about Sir Lewis Hamilton. He had a good race as well, although we must admit there were times when he did get a bit bogged down in that midfield train over DRS. There was a time where... Carlos Sainz, whilst he was near the front, Hamilton was struggling outside the top 10. But in that final stint before the safety car came out, Sir Lewis really turned on the afterburners. And I think one moment in particular that I've really enjoyed was when Lando Norris came out of the pits after a slow stop, got caught up behind Gasly, and Sir Lewis, as brilliant as he was, overtook the pair of them. Lewis loves a double overtake, and it was another great example of that 
cunning brilliance that he has picked up after so many years behind the wheel. He's the second oldest driver on the grid, but he certainly caught the young drivers napping today. Do you know what? I think in recent years, I think the, the best aspect of Lewis's driving is when the cars are positioned, you know, in between pit stops where he's just able to just run on his own and just get the best out of the tyres. I think Lewis does struggle with traffic. He struggles with traffic and he struggles with safety cars. They've probably been the two main Achilles heels of Lewis Hamilton's career. But when it comes to strategy leading to him, you know, being able to to stretch the tyres, he's still one of the best on the grid, unable to stretch a stint. But yeah, when when he's got a clear track and he's able to do that, he really is able to extract the best of not only out of the car, but out of himself. And I just think once he's able to, to clear some of the, the obviously the slower cars and then some of the cars ahead were in the pits. He's able to stretch out that first stint. And that was that was actually the part of the race where he was able to really propel himself up the grid. And obviously that double overtake you mentioned there, that was the icing on the cake for him. But the, the most important stage of Lewis's race was when those cars in front were in the pits because he you just have that confidence that he's going to be able to do it. So and the the, the Mercedes team know that as well. If you just give him the position on track, he will make up time. And today was another example of that. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we obviously have to throw in a few caveats. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned, of course, Courtney, you know, the difficulties Lewis has had in his career with dealing with traffic. I mean, bear in mind, we're talking about a guy who is very much used to racing at the front because of how brilliant he has been behind the wheel and how quick he is that passing through traffic is not always something that he has too much experience in. But then, of course, when he does have those moments and he's in hammer time mode, he's as brilliant as ever has been anyone doing that. Not to mention the fact this season that Mercedes also, the W13, a very draggy car on a circuit where drag is obviously not going to be your friend. It was always going to be a challenge. But to come P5 thinking that the only people that finished ahead of you was your teammate, the two Ferraris, Verstappen, and still beat Perez, mind you, as well. I think he'd have been very happy with that result today under the circumstances. Lee, of course, we heard Lewis in an interview uh, before the race. He was talking about Daniel Ricciardo and he had some comments to say about his future. Will he be at Mercedes as a reserve driver? And will that be with a view to him eventually taking over from Sir Lewis Hamilton in a few years' time? Lewis looked over at Daniel and said, well, first of all, Daniel should be racing. He shouldn't be a reserve driver. And secondly... He doesn't plan on going anywhere anytime soon, almost apologising to Daniel, saying, sorry, I'm going to have this seat for some time to come. Do you think that's the sort of indication right now that I think some fans that might have been worried about how long Lewis was going to hang around for, that they might get some assurance that Lewis is going to stick around for a few more years to come? Well, it's definitely going to be reassuring to the his fans about how long he's going to be around. Um, what, what's Lewis's age at the moment? I he's 37, I think. So he's yeah, not old, I mean, no, yeah. but no, he's, he's the second oldest old, driver on the grid. So, you know, make it that he, what you will. He can look at Fernando and he's raced Fernando through all his career. Apart from that, obviously, uh, Fernando's uh, gap year or gap years, if you want to put it that way. Um, and Fernando is doing brilliantly. So he can look at Fernando and go, I'm better than Fernando. I can do this. In his opinion, I'm not saying he's better than Fernando, but he obviously he's going to think I'm better than Fernando. Just want to clarify that statement. Well, I mean, he is. Sir Lewis, isn't he? So I'll yeah, say it. If you don't want to, Fernando I'll say fans, it. <laughs> I'm not going to... You might, you might be the Mercedes fan, Lee. I'm not the Sir Lewis Mercedes <laughs> fan. I'll say it now. Sir Lewis is better than Fernando. I mean, I love Fernando, um, but, you know, Ferrari era and everything. That was his best era, mind you. But no, Sir Lewis, definitely better than Fernando. He, he'll be thinking, I'm better Fernando. Fernando's doing brilliantly and I can stay around for that long. And 
we know we know that Sir Lewis loves a challenge, and all right, the car's not there now, but he knows that the car will be there next year or in two years, and that's that. This the, the fun bit to get back to that to win that eighth title. He wants that eighth title because he, as much as he probably hasn't publicly said it, uh, he feels very aggrieved with what happened last year, and he wants to get what he feels he he earned, which would be doing another championship battle, getting his eighth title. And and it, you could quite easily see him stick around to the new reg, reg changes in uh, 26. Again, longevity, as long as his performance keeps up. And they have another new challenge then. So I don't... I'm, now he's decided in his head that he's going to be here with those comments. I don't see him going anywhere, unfortunately, for Daniel. No, that's true. And I think, wasn't it Michael Schumacher? Wasn't it like 43 when he called it a day after his time, when he came back for a little while. I can't remember. I think it was something along those lines. So he's still got a way to go, Sir Lewis. He's got plenty of time. And uh, this is a man that very much is in need of a redemption arc. So hopefully he will get one and get the opportunity to try and finish his career in the manner that I'm sure he would want to. Whether that's an eighth world championship or not, we'll have to wait and see. But it's very encouraging news if you are a fan of Sir Lewis Hamilton that he obviously still has that burning desire to stick around, albeit I'm sure we'd all agree we'd love to see Daniel Ricciardo have a go in a Mercedes, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. We should, whilst we're talking about Fernando Alonso, talk about Alpine and McLaren, that battle today, Alpine not scoring points for the first time in what seems like an age this season. Fernando, unfortunately, reliability issues hampering his race, whilst, of course, becoming the outright most experienced driver in Formula One. So, of course, whilst I'm sure he'd be happy with that, he's going to be disappointed with the fact that his race, uh, 10 race points streak has gone yeah. now. And a big loss in points as well. And, of course, we should mention that this was a great opportunity for McLaren to pick up some points whilst Ocon finished outside the points despite donning a Michael Schumacher inspired helmet which I've got to say I absolutely really enjoyed watching that it was just a shame he ended up finishing P11 but McLaren this was a great opportunity for them and Lando of course that slow pit stop towards the end put him behind Gasly and Sir Lewis which cost him potentially P5 in the race and Ricardo's reliability issues when Ricardo drove a solid race this weekend all things considered it's one of those weekends where I think McLaren would have hoped for a lot more considering, and also they both started on the second row of the grid as well. So big missed opportunity, despite the fact that they've made some gains this weekend from McLaren. Yeah. I think the, the Alpine side, I was actually quite amused as to what happened to them because you always expect them to sort of be one of the top challengers outside of the, uh, the top three. And the weekend actually started quite okay for them. And it just seemed that as the weekend sort of, uh, went on they just sort of fell further and further back obviously they'll be hoping that it's track specific but I think towards the end of the season I'm, I'm really hoping now that the Max Verstappen the club battle is well and truly over I think would be I'm hoping it will be seeing some good battles between Lando Norris and Fernando Alonso yes Ocon has been performing well but Ocon and, um, Alonso and Lando are the obvious leaders of their respective teams. So let's hope that Lando Norris continues to perform at the level that he's doing because he is McLaren's main hope at the, at the moment. Yes, um, Dan Ricciardo put in a good shift today, but generally speaking, Lando Norris has been carrying that team. But I think whilst we're talking about McLaren, I think the most intriguing thing going into next year with Piastri joining the team it's really going to be interesting to know whether, you know, 
the the issues that Daniel's been having this season, whether it's actually been down to the car itself or whether how exceptionally well Lando Norris has been performing because because of the performance of the car itself, Lando's performances, I feel personally, have actually been going under the radar a lot. Obviously, finishing seventh and eighth consistently isn't going to get the headlines as much as getting regular podiums the way that George Russell is, for example. So if if Piastri comes in next season and he struggles in comparison to Lando Norris, this is when you really got to start thinking, can Lando Norris challenge for a championship? No, that's very, very true. I, I think it's one of those really, when you look back on it, that Daniel just hasn't been good enough. You know, Norris is certainly up to his game. I think Piastri coming next season, I think we're going to see that, you know, in all its clarity that Daniel just wasn't quite up to the task at McLaren. Of course, it wasn't the easiest seat to have, but someone of his experience and quality, you'd expect to shine through in that. And he's had so much opportunity to sort of put that down. And with the exception of last season when he won the Italian Grand Prix, it hasn't really happened for him. I mean, it was a good race this weekend for him until we had that reliability issue. And of course, we should mention one interesting statistic. Now, for those of you that obviously aren't a Max Verstappen fan, for example, not to target him in particular, but if this trend continues, we won't expect Max Verstappen to win next year's Grand Prix because the winner of the previous Grand Prix has gone on to retire the following year. We had it with Leclerc in 2020 after winning the 2019. We had Gasly retiring last season when he won the year before that. And we had Ricardo today after winning last season's Grand Prix. So by the law of averages, Max Verstappen is not going to win the Italian Grand Prix next season. And it's probably going to come back to bite me now that I've said it. I'm sorry, guys, but just an interesting one for you statisticians out there that might have paid attention to that one. But I suppose, Lee, we, you know, looking at this battle with Alpine and McLaren, 18 points now separates them. Alpine, a big surprise today. I think we often associate Alpine as being very rapid in a straight line. We thought this was going to be a strong weekend for them. Ultimately, they were well beat by McLaren but they were very much let off today because it could have been so much more for McLaren than it ultimately was and perhaps their best chance of closing the gap before we start getting into the business end of the season. Yeah, I think overall McLaren would have been pleased with the performance of the both drivers in the car. Obviously, they would have hoped for more, but unfortunately, as we were touching on earlier, the top three teams are more often not going to finish in the top six positions. That's just the performance level they have now. So you're fighting over the bottom end of the top 10. So they were, Daniel and Lando are in very good positions. And unfortunately, the reliability affected Daniel. When McLaren would be gutted that they haven't, as you said, done the damage to Alpine. But they would have been very pleased with the performance. It's just, I hope they can understand why they performed well this weekend compared to previous weekends. Because if they don't understand why they've done so well, um, it's going to just be an advantage of Alpine for the, the rest of the season. Obviously, I'll go into Alpine. I that on their side that they understand where it went because, as Courtney said, they were looking good in free practice. So, what happened to their top speed? <laughs> I don't, mean, it, I don't yeah. know if they lost their top speed. I don't know the actual the, their speed yeah, because Alonso. Alonso thought there was a problem with the engine, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was complaining about the deployment, and ultimately they retired the car anyway. So maybe it was the early stages of something going wrong there that he had obviously found and Alpine just didn't realise until later on because they said to him that they thought things were fine and he just responded with, wow, that famous Fernando Alonso, wow, like sarcastic. It's almost like, it's almost GP2 engine comment. I mean, I'm glad he didn't (laughs) say that and we didn't have a second rendition, although part of me wanted to see that because I love a bit of drama like that sometimes. It's always funny. Not if you're in the Alpine garage and um, this was a weekend as well, of course, we should mention that Lauren Rossi, the Alpine CEO, 
uh, wasn't happy with McLaren over the Oscar Piastri situation, coming out saying that Piastri had a move lined up to Williams and obviously should have stayed, and he wasn't happy with Piastri's... Uh, he wasn't had, wasn't a team player, I think was the right way that he put it. So uh, I think Alpine have embarrassed themselves enough in this situation. I think they just need to let it go, get the bragging rights on McLaren and win this Constructors' Championship battle. Because if they lose that as well... And what we saw today was a sign of things to come. I think they might be sweating a little bit because they've been so good this season. And I really hope for their sake that they don't trip over themselves before finishing this one off against McLaren. Yeah, it would be a bit silly um, if they just throw away their sort of performance of the last few races to some technical gremlins or operational um, and McLaren after their poor performance of late get together. So yeah, it's going to be... An interesting battle to watch for the rest of the season. Yeah, although there is reason for Alpine to celebrate, we should mention Victor Martins, the Alpine driver, whilst having to wait a little bit in the steward's office to find out the uh, or get the confirmation for sure, won the Formula 3 Championship this weekend. So, you know, congratulations to Victor Martins. Great stuff this season. And of course, congratulations to Felipe Drogovic, who won the F2 Championship this season. A driver we might see at Aston Martin next season, perhaps a reserve driver there. So well done to him as well. Both greats performances from those two this season uh let's move on quickly to i'm going to talk about alfa romeo briefly because there wasn't too much to say on bottas it was a bit disappointing for him i know he got bogged down in the race joe guan Yu, mind you consolidating some of these brilliant performances he's putting of late compared to his teammate getting in the points this weekend p10 very impressive stuff from joe guan Yu, and and for a while now i've been keeping an eye on his progress and i must say he has impressed me a lot pace wise with the caveats of retirement for his teammate, he has been at the very least on par with Bottas. And I think this weekend he had him beat all ends up. So no, congratulations to him. How have you guys sort of assessed Zhou Guan Yu this season? He's really grown on me and I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on him so far. Yeah, pleasantly surprised is the best way to um, to sum it up. And, you know, I think Valtteri Bottas, was, his stock in Formula One was been... Uh, is, was and still is underestimated. Like, Valtteri Bottas is a very solid driver. Let's not forget that because he was getting beaten by Lewis the way that he was. I do think his talent was underestimated, and the fact that Joe's come in, you know, coming the first season in Formula One is doing as good a job as he is against Bottas. This shows how well he's doing. You know, I, 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 I up until recently, I never rated Joe. I didn't, I didn't um, rate him in F two. Um, I did expect much from him coming into Formula One, and he's surprised a lot of people. And obviously, we know how brutal Formula One is, so he just has to continue performing the way he is because right now things are looking rosy for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Lee, what are your thoughts on this as well? Because Alfa Romeo right now 18 points ahead of Haas in the constructors, and whilst we're expecting Alpha Tauri maybe to challenge them more than Haas at the moment. Every point counts, and I think we have to acknowledge and celebrate the improvement that Joe Guan Yu has made this season and getting in those points. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, Joe's been the rookie of the year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, um, it's not a big class this year, but I think no. <laughs> he's definitely a, he's definitely a worthy nominee. So we'll have to fingers crossed that he wins it this year. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, sorry, a little joke in my butt. Um, class, of no, his, he, class of his own, why not? Yeah. We'll get them all out, go on. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's done really well. And as Courtney said, he's performed better than I expected him to. Um, I think he's done enough to deserve a seat next year. Um, uh, he's really, really being a, a very close to the performance of Valtteri. And 
that's what you need and what you can base on your teammates. So he, the fact that he had Valtteri beat all weekend, or admittedly in the race, Valtteri had his penalty, so you can't really compare that. But throughout the practice, he, he was performance-wise, were very close between the two drivers. So I, all, all I like to see from Guerrero, well, and it's more from Joe, I should say, and Formula One is actually when Formula One does return to China, is how the atmosphere and the interest would be in China with Joe on the grid. And I, I think that would be a really fun thing to see. Yeah, it's something F1 have been trying to push for a while. And it's good to see, of course, that whilst um, it's not sort of a, I don't want to say token gesture because it's not fair to, for me to say no. that. And of course, F1 is, they're not, well, they well, they have been using that popularity for Zhou Guan Yu in China to get to break into that Chinese market with more races in China. It's just great to see that he's putting in those performances that are definitely solidifying his place, not only on the grid, but also in the Alfa Romeo team as well. And I've been very impressed with him this season so long may that continue it's great stuff to see from Joe Guan you're glad to see he's enjoying himself I think that's the most important thing I think yeah Will Buxton the other day was doing an interview with him in Chinese something that I don't think many media outlets or many media personnel would have done for him based in the UK so you know well done to Will on that and I'm sure looking at Joe's reaction I think he very much enjoyed that so it's great stuff to see mm. um in that regard really nice stuff Pierre Gasly for Alpha Tauri a uh, great day for him Good, some good battles up there against people that he would have obviously been used to racing throughout the years. But obviously this season has been difficult for him because the car's not quite been there for him. And by his own admission, his form's not also been there. But with rumours intensifying about his future possibly going to Alpine next season, he's starting to put in those performances again. So P8 today, still eighth in the constructors with Alpha Tauri. But Haas are really there for the taking right now. They seem to be well off the pace right now. And... And at the right time, despite Sonoda's penalty, made his way up through the field. Pierre Gasly doing a good job and getting some solid points. Pierre is yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That no, sums it up, yeah. I, I, you've made a really good point there, Adam. Because at one point, it looked like Gasly was almost falling asleep. He didn't have anything to race for. And now we're seeing the, the, the rumours build up about the move to Alpine. All of a sudden... Pierre Gasly's been starting to uh, show his face again. So I, I find it very interesting. I, I've, I'm really intrigued to see, to see how this Alpine thing turns out because I don't know how true it is. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I know the full ins and outs of this story, but it's been well documented that him and Ocon don't see face-to-face or maybe it's worse in the past and they get on better now. But the dynamic if um, Gasly was to join... Alpine would be intriguing to say the least, particularly given how there seems to be a lot of turmoil at Alpine as it is. I, I think next season, I, I just feel that if Gazi was to join, um, if Gazi was to join Alpine, I think they should have like their own series apart. I have the Drive to Survive series, but actually have like a mini series that's just focused on Alpine alone. But all I or nothing. Could, the fireworks could be immense, you yeah. know, even with what's happened with Alonso, the Piastri thing, and then having potentially Gasly and Ocon in the same team. It's like they're, they're, they, they could well be the soap opera team. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit like all or nothing, really, for those of you that watched the football version. I think you had Arsenal on yeah. this season. And yeah, it, it, more than anything, just to figure out what, in, what in the world is going on. Alpine. I mean, it was even a bit more embarrassing for them, not to sort of keep hammering down on this, but Ocon was asked, while showing off the Michael Schumacher tribute helmet, who he wanted as his teammate next season. He went out and said he wanted Mick Schumacher. 
And I don't think Alpine were really appreciative of that. They weren't happy with him because whilst obviously I'm a big Mick Schumacher fan, I want to see him do well. I don't really think he's on their serious list of contenders for that seat right now. So I don't think they would have appreciated it. And, And Gasly for them is obviously the marquee signing. Will that create friction in the team next season? I'm sure it will. We'll find out how much they really detest each other and actually can they keep it civil on the racetrack. I mean, we know from the past, Ocon is not the best driver at dealing with inter-team battles. You just asked Sergio Perez or even Fernando Alonso to a degree this season and stuff like that. So to chuck Pierre Gasly in the mix there for a supremacy of a French team with two French drivers that obviously want to make a name for themselves at the upper echelons of the grid, it's going to create all sorts of drama, I'd imagine. Oh yeah, it'd be like, um, Pierre being a hand grenade thrown into Alpine team. So that would be, uh, I definitely think that's worth watching. <laughs> yeah, it certainly sounds exciting. You bring on 2023. If that does happen, of course, you know, plenty of speculation. I know Jack Doohan, the uh, Formula, Formula 2 driver this weekend, was obviously mentioned as a driver that Alpine could look to. But I think Alpine wanted someone with more experience. And given what they've been up to recently, I think... I wouldn't exactly be confident that a young driver looking for a seat next season F1 should trust Alpine to put him in there right now. I mean, just ask Oscar Piastri how that sort of went down. So make of that what you will. It's a bit like Alpine Sympathy Corner this week. And I do apologise to Alpine (laughs) fans. We're not always this harsh on them, but this has been a very, very strange few weeks for the team and an otherwise very solid season up till now. Let's talk about now my driver of the day, Nick DeVries at Williams. What a performance from the young man. Of course, stepping in at the last minute to replace Alex Albon, who suffered from appendicitis. And it was glad to hear that Alex is okay and recovering well. Hopefully, we will see him soon. Not sure he's going to be fit for the next race. Although we have a few weeks' breaks, he might be able to have enough respite to come back for Singapore. But Nick DeVries stepped in. Brilliant performance in qualifying, no less. It was a great job from him. Just actually flicking through my phone to find the pictures of actually where he qualified. He was... uh, Eight, probably. 13th on the road in on merit, oh, yeah, but he yeah. started in the top 10. But despite the fact that we were expecting him to fall back, obviously that like, Williams is quite quick in a straight line, as we saw Alex Albon demonstrate at Spa, for example. And Nick did a stellar job today, finishing P9 low less. And he was really in the battles today. He didn't have his own race. He had a lot to do. He had a long stint on the medium tyres, which, of course, the safety car did give him a bit of a reprieve at the end. But he did a phenomenal job. And I'm really... Really happy to see Nick DeVries, a driver who, for many people that have followed his career, will know that this was a driver with a lot of talent, won the F2 Championship a few seasons ago, ended up going to Formula E because he just couldn't get an opportunity in F1, won the Formula E World Championship, come back to F1 with an opportunity to try and find a seat for perhaps next season, had his name in the mix at 27 as well. Obviously, it's a bit more difficult for him to sort of put himself at the front of the queue compared to a few other young drivers coming through who are obviously a few years younger than him right now. I mean, we're talking about the top drivers of the future, the likes of Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell, all 24 years of age. And then you've got Nick DeVries, who's already a few years older than him, looking to try and get a seat in F1. On a day like today, he was absolutely fantastic. And I really enjoyed watching that. Getting it on his F1 debut, no less. And we're looking at some of those drivers we already mentioned right now, guys. You're looking at drivers like George Russell, took 48 races um, incredibly to get a point. Nicholas Latifi, 28. Robert Kibitza, Grand Prix winner, 11 races. Alex Albon, three. Nick DeVries, just the one. How impressed, guys, were we with Nick DeVries whilst I uh, calmed down from fanboying him? No, like, you're... 
he was impressive, but in a way I wasn't surprised because, you know, like you, Adam, I followed his career and, you know, what what he did in F2 and in Formula E in particular. Formula E uh, is such a chaotic sport. So to come out at the end of a season as a champion, trust me, it takes, it, it takes a lot of ability to do that. So it does surprise me that he sort of adjusts the way he did. I just think the thing that really highlights is that I do think Latifi's on his way out. You know, like, we have we have made fun of uh, Latifi in previous episodes. I want to make this more about the Vries than Latifi. But I think, uh, surely that has to be an audition for him to have a shot at Williams seat next season. To come in, out-qualify your teammate, and then already actually have more points in the championship. To actually be ahead of your... He's actually ahead of Latifi in the Drivers' Championship now, after one race. Yeah, it's it's nuts, isn't it? I think isn't he P twenty one the TV store or is he P twenty two? I can't remember because obviously we've got Holkenberg in there as well, and I can't remember if he's. It must be ahead of Holkenberg. I'm sure Latifi is. So, uh, but yeah, you're right, Corny. It's not it's not good for Latifi right now. Go Tifi, as we say, because this was a guy that we thought perhaps might have been able to secure a seat for next season, owing to the volatility of the situation at Williams, where it looked like Oscar Piastri was going there. We weren't sure about Albon. Obviously, was he going to secure a more medium-term uh, contract, which obviously he has done. The opportunity might have been there. But after a performance like today, Williams weren't expecting much from De Vries. They just said, look, go out and drive your own race. Have some mm-hmm. fun. We don't care if you crash it. Or obviously, they don't want him to. But they don't care if he didn't do well today. But he just went in there, drove, and put in a stellar performance right now. I can't see any reason why Williams don't put pen to paper and get him in that car next season. It's a no-brainer, surely. Yeah, it's completely no-brainer. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Mercedes and George Russell when George um, replaced Lewis for that one race in Bahrain when Lewis um, was out for COVID. And it's the Mercedes were I mean, are about Valtteri and George for a couple of seasons, but they got reference point for George in them at that car and they knew what they were getting. Williams now have that with um, Nick and it's like, Williams know what they'll be getting in it. I mean, it's unfortunate for Nicholas, it's a, a better driver who could be more reliably bring back the points. All right, it's a lot to judge on one race, but Williams will know a lot more than we saw. So, yeah, I was, I was really pleased with his with his performance. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great job from Nick DeVries. Really, really impressive stuff. Latifi finishing P15 today was just doing his normal race. Really, wasn't really too much to say on Latifi. Didn't really get to see much of him, but once again, struggling to find the pace of his teammate this season. Um, we should briefly talk about Haas as well. I mean, quick note on Aston Martin, very unfortunate for them. Both drivers going out to reliability concerns. The only Aston Martin really worth talking about was the safety car this weekend. But it was a very somber note. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel in particular, difficult for him to go to the scene of such happy memories. And obviously, Ferrari fans everywhere would have obviously wanted to see him get a great result today at a venue which has obviously shown him so much love in the past. And it was just very unfortunate that it all went up in smoke for him. And and Lance Stroll, of course, his race was ruined by reliability issues as well. So an opportunity for Aston Martin kind of gone begging almost because they were in that fight for P7 as well. Yeah, but they they seem to be sort of uh, struggling for drag compared to some of the other teams. I do still believe, regardless of the result that they had, I do believe that Aston Martin are going to have a strong end to the season, you know. We've said it in previous episodes. I, we just, I just want to see one more great performance from Sebastian Vettel. Maybe Singapore. You know, you've got to remember that Sebastian Vettel has a lot of great memories of Singapore. It's definitely one of Seb's um, strongest circuits. 
So maybe Singapore will be a real opportunity for him. Mm, absolutely. His, his last win in Formula One at that circuit as well. Just a quick note on Haas, actually, before we sign off for this episode, guys. Haas, we, we did say for a while that there was a fear that they would fall down to pecking order. I mean, Mick Schumacher didn't have a bad race. He finished P12 overall. Magnussen had some problems earlier on, which obviously bogged him down. But once again, we're talking about a team here that's given so much this season. And owing to the fact that they weren't able to take advantage when they had a strong car as much as they probably should have done, and the lack of resource available to them, it, it, there's always this growing fear that they could end up finishing P9 in this Constructors' Championship right now, rather than finishing a bit higher where they probably deserve to be right now. So you, you want to go first? Or I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was say, let's, not, let's not have some dead air on this one, guys. We did so <laughs> well. <laughs> no, um, I, I do think that Pass did... Well, they were driving well, but obviously Kevin... Um, getting his did, did he get a penalty in the end for yeah I think he did yeah, he did yeah. he did get the penalty and I'm for, yeah. Kevin uh, this season has been a bit on the reckless side of in getting the penalties but that's what Kevin has always driven uh, like but it, I thought it was a, a very good performance from Mick um, the way he, he was bringing himself right it was outside the points but he was getting himself stuck in and overtaking it was just a really uh in, enjoyable to watch from from him, especially as he's on the market, so to speak. And he needs to do those performances to get a, a drive. He had a good little battle with Latifi. I must admit, yeah. that was one time I did see Latifi. He had a nice little battle with him. And uh, yeah, the, the, the nice little scramble for, what was it at the time? Was it P15 at the time or something? Or P14? Nice little battle there. And, and again, this is a driver, we talk about Mick Schumacher, that really needs to put himself on the market. Whether he ends up staying at Huss, I don't know. Obviously, Ferrari are not going to have any influence on that whatsoever now because he's parting ways from that academy. If you were, and I feel like I've asked this question before, but as soon as we're getting closer to the end of the season, there are still theoretically some seats available. If you were a team boss at a team that had a seat available, is Mick Schumacher a realistic contender for any of those? Because I feel like he's sort of number two or number three, but not the number one option anywhere. I feel no, like they're going yeah. for me. I don't quite... He's sort of on the cusp, I feel, of deserving a seat in F1. But if you ask me at the beginning of the, like, at the, at the start of the season, I'd be like, I, I think he's on his way out. But his performances have improved. But I feel that Haas are in a real awkward position with Mick Schumacher. And I do feel to an extent that his name does make it even more awkward because you obviously want to be seeing the son of Michael Schumacher being F1. It does look good for the sport, but I still think for all the teams that are looking for drivers, there are better options. Like Danny Ricciardo, what's going to happen to Danny Ricciardo? If you see, so I'm, I'm looking on thinking, if Danny Ricciardo isn't in the sport, but Mick Schumacher is, it doesn't quite feel right, for example. Mm, it's almost circumstantial, isn't it? Because the seats that in theory are available how many of those would Daniel seriously take? But those are seats that Mick yeah. Schumacher would probably take. So it it's not always about who you actually want. And also value for money as well. I mean, I asked Tom Gay more about this um, in our preview that we had. And he was a brilliant guest, of course. And what he pretty much said rang true. I mean, you have to look at the value for money aspect. And Mick Schumacher is going to be much cheaper than Daniel Ricciardo. And even then... How, what Daniel Ricciardo are you going to get? Because the last few years, you wouldn't exactly say he's been that impressive. If anything, pound for pound, Mick might have done a bit more with his car than Daniel. I mean, I know it's a bit of a push, but it just shows how far Daniel was sort of fell to the wayside this season. 
Yeah, um, I, I've got a whole feeling Mick's not going to be around, though, or Daniel in that matter. I think, unfortunately, both are probably not going to be in the grid mm. next season. I mean, is a reserve driver role the worst thing in the world? Because we have seen a few drivers end up sitting on the sidelines for a year or so. We saw... S, uh, not Esteban. Well, we saw Esteban Ocon actually. Yeah, yeah we, did. we did. He had that. Alex. Alex Albon. And they've come back stronger and done some great stuff. So maybe a year on the sideline somewhere might not be the worst thing. I mean, with Antonio Giovinazzi potentially going to Haas next season, perhaps Mick might decide, you know what? If Ferrari need a development or reserve driver, it might not be the worst thing to hang around there, at least to keep him around. And I'm sure there will be opportunities going forward. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Guys, I know we've been going on this for a while, so I think we're going to have to wrap this up for now it was a really really interesting grand prix plenty of talking points and guys let us know your thoughts in the comment section if you are watching this on youtube if you are watching on youtube and you like what we do make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers by the end of the season we need your help to help us do that it's a bit of a tall order but we know with your support we can certainly make a dent in it maybe we'll get there who knows if you are following us a favorite podcasting platform and enjoy what we do if you want to support the channel and support the pod all you got to do is leave a nice review for us to let us know what we're doing right of course if you think we're not doing something right do let us know preferably five stars would be great and some constructive feedback but of course you give us what you think we are worthy of but until next time guys we have going to be on a bit of a break we're not us personally we'll still have some content coming your way but no race for a few weeks until the beginning of october we'll be head to singapore where max verstappen could become a double world champion very much on the cards and you certainly want to bet against him from doing that but until next time guys please stay safe wherever you are around the world whether you're paying tributes to our late queen elizabeth ii or if you are just going about your normal business please do stay safe and hope that you are okay but until next time we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember if you're not first you're probably dnf1